Hello, and thanks for listening to this episode of the Mount Sinai Health Partners podcast. I'm Rob Fields, Senior Vice President and CMO for Population Health at Mount Sinai. And I have a good, uh, great colleague of mine, Jonathan Aaron here, who's an internist here at the Internal Medicine Associates at Mount Sinai and uh, has been a great partner on our team for some time. Uh, thanks for joining us, Jonathan. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Jonathan, what's your, what's your title these days? So uh, so I have a few different roles at, at Mount Sinai. Um, primarily, I'm a clinician. I see patients. Uh, uh, I do some teaching. Uh, so as associate professor, I do some teaching in the residency program. I'm also associate medical director for the Internal Medicine Associates Clinic. My focus uh, there is quality, quality improvement. Uh, and I do have a, a role uh, uh, within the health system, uh, medical director for population health. Uh, and in that realm, I do focus uh, mainly on the Medicaid population mm-hmm. um, and how to in- improve quality and um, uh, you know, maximize performance uh, in, in that population. Yeah. And so I, when I was thinking, I was like, well, I know you in this specific context of our work in pop health, but I know you do much more and um, you're, I've done a lot of work in the system in lots of different formats. So I obviously appreciate all that, that you do for us. So It's fun stuff. Uh, yeah. Um, so tell me a little bit about, did, did you do residency here at Sinai? So I did my residency at Montefiore okay. in the Bronx. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, tell me about how you landed at Sinai and how things have progressed since then. Uh, sure. I, so I did, did my residency at, in the primary care social medicine program mm-hmm. at, at Montefiore Einstein. Uh, and I think that's where I became really interested in uh, specifically, um, populations like the one that we serve here in South Bronx and East Harlem, uh, and the uh, specific challenges that they face. Uh, for a few years after residency, I, I worked in a um, clinic in, in Chelsea for union workers, um, mm. uh, primarily immigrant population. Yeah. And what fascinated me about working there was the innovative model of care that uh, was being practiced um, to a large extent because they had a lot of freedom to do creative things and right. based on the way that they were reimbursed. So the union that uh, the patients were a part of essentially was responsible for the totality of their care and their costs. Yeah, it was a full risk model. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so they, the union didn't care what we did as long as we kept their patients out of the hospital and saved money. Right, That's right. all they cared about. So that sounds that, familiar. It was, yeah. <laughs> so it was really um, a unique opportunity for me to be on the ground floor looking at uh, sort of new and innovative ways of how to deliver care. Um, and so we experimented with different models. We looked at how to really leverage different team members to the best of their ability to, you know, work together to care for patients. So, you know, we were working with medical assistants that were doing things like providing uh, diabetic foot exams Mm -hmm. or providing outreach, health coaching. A lot of my patients would come to the clinic just to see my medical assistant uh, who was very highly trained in diabetes, for example. Um, So that's when I really got interested in using sort of newer models of, of care uh, to deliver, uh, you know, the best possible care to these groups of patients. And after a few years of being pretty much full-time clinician and doing that uh, on the ground level, um, you know, I decided I kind of wanted to, to uh, branch out a little bit, uh, teach a little bit about how to do that um, in other settings, and, and 
maybe spend a little more time actually doing the work on an administrative level. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of where I've taken things at Mount Sinai. Yeah. And IMAs, for those that are not Sinai that are listening, it's a it's not the typical primary care practice. It's large, first of all. How many docs do you have here? So it's a very large practice. We have over 130 residents, central med- medicine Goodness residents, gracious. who see the bulk of the patients, and then uh, upwards of 30 uh, faculty members and yeah. everyone is part-time because they're doing right. other things, of course. Right. Uh, so it's a complicated practice from a provider standpoint. Uh, and it's a very complex, um, setting in terms of the patient mix as well. Right. Um, very, um, the patients we serve are, it's a vibrant and wonderful population, uh, with a lot of challenges, uh, mm-hmm. both, uh, physical in terms of their physical health, but is also the, the social um, issues that they face every day in terms of uh, just getting through their lives mm-hmm. and all the challenges that, challenges that those pose in terms of helping them to manage their own health uh, plays a big role in how we approach the care of those patients. Yeah. Uh, I mean, IMA is also, because of those challenges, has been somewhat upfront or out front uh, compared to some of our other practices, I think, and thinking creatively about models and how you've organized your teams to kind of you know chunk it down a little bit and make it um, make your outcomes really to drive better outcomes I know we've seen it in our health first contract in particular IMAs often stands out as a high performer can you help us understand some of the creative things you guys have come up with to deal with all those challenges over time right so one of the things that we've recognized um, early on is that we can't sort of sit around and wait for patients to show up. You know, those mm-hmm. who have the wherewithal to navigate the health system for themselves, we need to really reach out to our patients that are the most vulnerable. Mm-hmm. So that requires, number one, data to try to figure out how to identify these patients. And, and identifying patients with needs could be as simple, not that it's simple, but as straightforward as pulling somebody in who's overdue for a, you know, a mammogram, for example or as complicated as trying to identify, trying to predict which patients of ours are gonna wind up in the hospital in the next you know, month or so and reaching out to them and then building programs that are specific to their needs mm-hmm. uh, and figuring out how, to, how we do that with the resources that we have. Um, and so, you know, for example, we're talking about uh, you know, clinical pharmacists. You know, we recently hired a clinical pharmacist and, you know, trying to figure out how do we use that person? How do we leverage their skills to do what we need to do in the clinic? And, and we kind of looked at our data and, and decided, well, we're not doing so great with caring for people with hypertension. Mm-hmm. And a lot of our patients with asthma are winding up in the emergency room, and we don't have great programs for those. Mm-hmm. So let's see what she can do in those domains. And so we've come up with a lot of different creative solutions for how to uh, utilize her as well as the nurses, care coordinators, you know, patient navigators that we have, social workers, uh, to come together in creative ways to uh, address these, you know, address these problems. Right. And we are going to get into uh, some of the specifics of the clinical pharmacy piece, but you and I both know that just plopping a resource down into a practice doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be successful. And it sounds like you've had multiple experiences with not only putting in the resource, but then driving the execution around that. Do you have advice for those that might be listening, thinking about implementing something new about how you get your docs to not comply, but sort of buy into the model and um, 
you know, how do you address the cultural issues that could sometimes be barriers for new initiatives? Sure. Uh, so I think a lot of it has to do with communication, mm-hmm. uh, which is a particular challenge in IMA because we've got residents that are here for two weeks and then mm-hmm. they're off for six weeks. Right. And we have to not only train them every time they come in about all the new <laughs> stuff that's going on, but remind them of all the old stuff. All old stuff and yeah. it can be frustrating. So we've really prioritized um, venues for communication, for example. So uh, we've managed to uh, re- you know, rearrange our scheduling um, uh, in terms of patient care to really protect time for team meetings and huddles. So every Monday morning, we sit with each, we're, so we have three sort of sections or pods in our clinic, and each of those is divided into three teams. So we have nine teams that uh, are composed of residents that, that rotate through and cover for each other uh, and are supervised by faculty. And each of these teams, they actually have their own pair of social worker and, and care coordinator. Uh, as well as other resources. And we meet with the, you know, the team, the social workers, care coordinators, um, plan our care for the week. We look at the patients that are coming in uh, for that week and, um, and try to anticipate what their needs are. We also spend that time looking at our own sort of quality data. And so we look at the the needs of the patients on an individual level, but then we also look at, well, how are we doing as a team First of all, first of all, uh, with these various metrics that we're looking at, mm-hmm. um, whether it's like I mentioned, breast cancer screening or uh, keeping people out of the hospital or high, high blood pressure control, things like that, and and we look at this every every meeting, um, and so we're looking at how we're doing individually as as clinicians. We're looking at as, as we do, as I mentioned, as a team, uh, and also as a practice. And so I think just connecting the patient level. Um, planning with our sort of outcomes in terms of quality metrics and um, and things like that drives home the point that this is really what it's all about. It's about being accountable for these outcomes, not just seeing patients. And so I think that making that connection over time it really engenders this culture of, of quality and performance right. and, um, uh, and you know, improving the outcomes for our patients. Yeah. Focusing a little bit more on the clinical pharmacy piece, so we have had a prior uh, podcast with Ruchi Tuari, who leads that team and uh, creating that program in Mount Sinai, which is was no small small task for sure. Um, but I imagine the I, how used to were the providers to having working with an ambulatory clinical pharmacist before she started. Nobody had a clue. Nobody had a clue. In okay. the leadership, we didn't even know what. You know, we had sort of heard through the grapevine that this may be an, uh, an available resource. And, yeah. You know, were we interested in, in trying to figure out how to, um, you know, plug that into to our program? And, you know, this is, this is, all, this is all new so to starting us. Starting from zero. Absolutely. I mean, I never had any experience working with a clinical pharmacist in, embedded in a practice, and neither had any of the other leadership or clinicians for that matter. Um, and so it was kind of an experiment. Mm-hmm. Uh, I sort of assumed that she would be a nice resource for you know asking questions about medications and things sure. like that. Right. Um, but come to find out that she is incredibly talented and knowledgeable about a wide range of of issues. In, in addition, not not only medication management, but right. chronic disease management, sure. uh, patient education. You know, teaching people about lifestyle changes and. Uh, diet and exercise, and also really knowing how to 
you know, manage patients over time in a very proactive way. So um, she does, of course, do a lot with medication management. So if we have a patient, for example, I'll just give you an example, a patient of mine who uh, had very difficult to control blood pressure, but she also had difficult to control diabetes and back pain. And <laughs> every time she came in, um, you know, we were dealing with the diabetes and the back pain. And I kept looking at that blood pressure number. And, yeah. you, know, it, you know, before I know it, 30 minutes has passed. And, yeah. you know, I've got other patients that, that need yeah. my help. And so, you know, over time, as I got used to working with her, um, that would be a, that's become a great you know, example of, of how she can be helpful, hypertension management. Yeah. So, you know, I sent her a text yeah. um, on my phone. She came right over to the office, you know, the exam room that I was in, took the patient, took her back to her office, um, you know, established a rapport, did some education, um, and then really spent some time working with her over the next, you know, several weeks and did some amazing things. So it turns out that she was you know, really on a lot of different blood pressure medications, some of which she was taking, some of it, you know, she right. wasn't. Of course. Uh, complicated, you know. Not atypical, right? <laughs> right, exactly. And so she was able to really dig into, you know, why she may not be taking all of her medications, whether it was just there were too many of them, it was confusing, she had, or did she have fear about side effects? Um, did she have side effects? All these sorts of things. A lot of patients do have very very strong beliefs about uh, medications and, and their illness and, um, you know, uh, some of which are not always, you know, productive. And so she was able to sort of break those down, switch her medications to, you know, a combination pill. So it's, you know, simplified things for her and prescribed her blood pressure, monitored it so she could measure her blood pressure at home, called her every week to get those wow. numbers yeah, yeah. and would make adjustments. She can prescribe medications. Right. Uh, and of course, all the time coordinating with me on all of course, this, but yeah. she could, you know, take the, t take the reins, um, referred her to YMCA blood pressure, uh, self-management program. Wow. So she is also, as it turns out, we've, um, sort of given her the role as almost like a community liaison yeah. to a lot of our community health, uh, you know, community based organizations. Uh, so really acting as a sort of community based arm to the work that she's doing, in the clinic and remotely. Um, so as I said, we, we identified a need for, you know, high blood pressure, for asthma, also COPD, uh, emphysema, chronic bronchitis. Um, but she does a number of things. So if we're just overwhelmed by the number of medications, our patients are overwhelmed by the number of medications they're taking, we'll refer her, uh, refer the patients to her for um, just to reconcile with medications. Um, kind of go through everything uh, and, and again, met assess medication adherence, um, but also really dig into these chronic diseases. And she's mm -hmm. made a lot of progress with hypertension specifically, um, again, lung disease. She's also a certified diabetes educator as well. Yeah. So, um, but as in her role as a clinical pharmacist, she works closely with our other diabetes educators such that when they feel medication changes need to be made, and, as opposed to trying to track down the PCP who may be a resident off in the ICU or on right. vacation. And not available. Yeah. yeah. It goes right to our, our pharmacist and they work together and they just Beautiful. do it. Yeah. Um, and so that's really, that's really great. The other thing is I had no idea she was such a great organizer. I mean, she's, she's a manager, <laughs> so she really helps to drive a lot of our 
quality improvement initiatives. Mm -hmm. um, so she'll train the nurses to, you know, to um, get involved in, in their interventions and then organize the data and show us what the outcomes are so that we actually that's know awesome. that what we're doing is working. Um, and so that's incredibly helpful as well. Um, yeah. And then as far as thinking about sort of population management, uh, in addition to receiving referrals from the providers, She's also receiving data from our health plans or our, you know, uh, internal uh, analytics team and identifying patients who, for example, are, um, you know, having trouble with medication adherence or are winding up in the emergency room in the hospital and proactively reaching out to those patients to address whether it's barriers to medication adherence sure. or factors that are contributing to them seeking care in the emergency room or the hospital. Yeah. Um, and so it goes both ways. So yeah. it's been, it's been an amazing asset to, to have her. And, uh, it's hard to imagine not having her now at this point. Right. And it hasn't, hasn't been that long. She's, it's uh, been a little over a year. Yeah. Has it been that long already? Wow. Yeah, yeah. Time flies. It does. Um, I imagine, you know, as hard as it was for the folks that are here regularly, that it's still, I imagine hard for the residents to, to buy into or understand how to use that, that, resource or is so the residents are actually smoothly the residents are interesting at you know at, on the one hand sometimes it's like herding cats because sure. they're sort of here part-time but at the same time you know the faculty they're old fuddy duds they've been doing the same thing for 30 <laughs> years they don't they're hard to change right right so you tell the residents okay this is what we do in ima this is the deal and they just they you know they hop too um, and so a lot of them really do are very early adapters of um, whatever new workflow we yeah. develop. Um, and so it's just a matter of spreading the word and kind of, you know, beating the message into everyone. And this is where team meetings come into play. You know, Monday mornings, first day of the block, residents show up as a reminder, we're doing this or here are the new interventions we're doing. Uh, and then we also have um, larger huddles for sort of the entire pod. Mm -hmm. And that's when some of the quality improvement initiatives are, are announced or reiterated. So for the most part, the residents drive a lot of it and they're, they, they're awesome. on board. Yeah, they, and they love it because, you know, so much. I mean, when I was a resident, I mean, I, I remember, you know, being on my cell phone at nine o'clock at night doing this stuff, like calling my patients <laughs> and like asking what right, their, right, right. you know, finger stick numbers are and changing the <laughs> insulin and doing. I felt like I had to do it all myself. And yeah. I think. You know, as doctors and, and other healthcare providers, sometimes we feel like we, we have to do mm -hmm. it all ourselves. But the fact that the recognition we have other members of the team that can offload work from us and in some ways do a better job of it, yeah. whether because they have more time sure. or bandwidth or expertise yeah. uh, or they share the same culture or language with the patient, for example, right. um, they welcome it. Yeah. So this is one of those initiatives where... Um, you may have heard me say in the past that while I believe that uh, some of the, the change in financial incentives that you referenced at the beginning, you know, if we were successful and actually changed that across the system, it can actually promote physician wellness because of some of the the offloading that that can provide with additional team members in a way that doesn't work in fee-for-service, right? It would be hard to imagine plugging in a clinical pharmacist, for example, in a pure fee-for-service model, although we're, we're kind of trying to do that still right. today. Um, I am also aware that Pop Health is guilty of imposing lots of things on physicians that often feel that contribute probably to burnout in some ways. Um, how, and you alluded to it a little bit, but do you feel like this resource has contributed positively? Of all the initiatives we do in Pop Health, or in the give and take of are we helping or hurting or some of both? Um, where do you? Th it sounds like you're feeling like this is. Yeah, there's no positive. question about it. I think the initial instinct for all of this is like, 
oh my god, somebody else that I have to think about referring to. You know, it's like mm-hmm. we have you know a lot of different resources, which is a blessing. But sometimes it's it's, it's a can lot. be overwhelming. Like yeah, it's you a know, lot. I got to do the warm handoff for the diabetes educator. I got to text you know the yeah. pharmacist and and this sort of thing. But I think once um, you know we get used to it and people get to know her, she comes around to the team meetings. Um, and we actually understand and appreciate what she does. It's kind of the light bulb goes off and, and people, you know, feel like she's indispensable, Mm -hmm. um, for sure. Yeah. If you had to do it over again, in terms of implementation, would you do anything differently? And what would that be? As far as the clinical pharmacist? Mm -hmm. Yeah, specifically on that. I mean, there are lots of things probably we would all do. Sure, sure. Um, I don't. I can't think of anything I would do differently. I think that uh, the way it presented itself was was perfect. I think that she had plenty of things sort of on the menu to offer, um, but also was flexible enough to address the particular needs mm-hmm. that that we had. And those needs are, are our recognition of those needs are evolving over time. And she's nimble enough to be able to respond to those. And you know, I, I can't speak <laughs> highly enough about it. I think there's yeah. sort of nothing she can't do. Um, so I, I think we're, you know, we're still learning yeah. how to best do it, and she's still learning. Um, but I think the most important thing is she's got the talent, but also uh, the willingness and the energy to, to do it. Um, you know, I think that it's much more important to have uh, someone who's energized and, and, you know, has the right mindset uh, than someone who has has been trained for w- in whatever sure. field and and is sort of stuck in their ways and and maybe not doesn't have the right attitude. So yeah. I think we are constantly learning, constantly developing new approaches, and there's no perfect, there's no right way to do it. Yeah. In each practice, each clinical setting is different. So I think what works for us may be different for uh, for you know another setting, but. Um, you know, we're we're learning as we go, and so far it's been it's been successful. It's been good. Excellent. Well, Jonathan, again, I appreciate your partnership and uh, and all the pop health stuff we do and been a great colleague. So I appreciate your work on this and taking the time today to talk to us about this. Absolutely. Thanks for speaking with me. Absolutely. Um, if anyone listening has other ideas for future podcasts, please email me at robert.fields at mountsinai.org. Thanks a lot.